0: Thank you so much, Sarah. Oh my gosh, doesn't that look like fun? I can't wait to try that at home. Little milk, little food colors, it's going to be really rad. Well, hey everyone, I'm Pastor Lisa. It's so great to be with you today. Hey, I just got back from some time in Michigan with my family. Now, it looked a little bit different this year. Now, every year over the 4th of July week, my whole family usually gets together and we swim and we boat and we ski and we play games and we make s'mores and we have lots of really fun time with my, both my sisters and my parents and all the cousins together. But this year, We couldn't do that. We still went to Michigan, but it was just my family, my husband, and my kids, and we had to quarantine for 14 days before we could hang out with anybody else from my family. It wasn't at all what we had expected, it wasn't what we had planned for, it wasn't what we had hoped for. Now, I don't know about you, but if you had found yourself in a situation, anything like that, you may be feeling all the feels that we were feeling too. A little frustrated, disappointed, a little scared, a little confused. When circumstances are out of our control, that's just what it looks like. That's what it feels like. Now, we still really strive to try and hold on to some joy during that time, try and have fun even amidst some of the difficult challenges that we had. Now my kids eventually got to meet up with their cousins. That was so fun. And when we were doing the exchange, I w- met my sister in a, in a parking lot and I was standing in the parking lot talking to my sister and the kids were out playing in a, in a grassy area. And while she and I were talking, all of a sudden my son Pax came running towards me screaming and crying that he had gotten bitten by a bee. And then immediately after that, my sister's son came and he'd gotten stung by a bee. And then immediately after that, her daughter came running, screaming. She had gotten stung by two bees, and so we had these kids standing in front of us. They were crying and screaming, and their faces were swelling up with bee stings. And I looked out into the field, and there was my six-year-old Eden, and she was wide-eyed, and she was kind of trying to figure out what was going on with her brother and her cousins freaking out, crying and screaming. And I looked at her, and she looked at me, and I said, Eden, run run girl run and she ran she made a beeline for me and she ran through that field and she made it oh she made it without getting stung one out of four kids made it without getting stung what in the world how did that happen it was not fair It was not fair that three kids were hurt and swollen and stinging. And my one girl was not. She made it through that field. Now, I don't know why it happened that way. In that crazy moment on that lazy summer day, my job immediately became twofold. It was protect her from danger, and it was comfort those who had been stung. I kind of feel like we are in a bee-infested field right now. Don't you feel like that? That we are living in that field. And we don't know when we're going to get stung. I mean, there's so many different things going around us. With the coronavirus, with the recession, with the election, with racial tensions. Do you ever feel like you just don't know what to say to your friends, to your family? That sometimes it's just hard to have a conversation It's confusing. It feels like there are bees all around you just waiting to sting you and we don't know how to navigate that. Do we swat at the bees? Do we hold still and not move? Or do we run through that bee-infested field? Now, Pastor Glenn and Pastor Eric have been doing such a great job leading us through this series of living hope. And we're doing the study in the book of First Peter, chapter, First Peter. And so today we're gonna to be in the chapter three. And this is a great. This is a great book to study, especially right now, that we are needing to hold on to some living hope. Some ways to navigate our ways through kind of this bee attacks that seem to be happening all throughout our society. And this help that is offered to us in First Peter, it goes even beyond bee attacks. It goes on into some really deep places of suffering that we may be experiencing. So I want to invite you to go ahead and grab your Bible, and today we're going to be in First Peter chapter 3, and we are going to look at some ways to hold on to some hope. Well, I want to invite you as we do our study today to go ahead and maybe highlight or underline some of the key words that really jump out to you in our study. This can be a really helpful way just to kind of help work your way through the passage. I even like to write notes in the margin sometime about different life events that I'm going through as I'm studying that passage. And it just reminds me as I go back and I study that passage about God's faithfulness in my life and how he has taken me through every situation and he has never left me down. He meets me, and I know he is going to meet you, too. Okay, well, today, the letter First Peter was written by, you guessed it, a guy named Peter. He was a disciple, but he was also a fisherman. He was a salty sailor from the seas, and he gave up his boat and his life on sea to follow Jesus on land for 3 years. I mean, you know that Peter must have really thought that Jesus was the real deal in order to give up his life on at sea to follow Jesus around on the land. Now, after Jesus was crucified, resurrected and ascended back to heaven, Peter kept walking on the land. He walked all over telling people about Jesus, planning churches, because he believed that following Jesus made your life better and made you better at life. Okay, well, here we go. We're going to dive into 1 Peter 3 starting at verse 8. Finally, all of you be like minded. Come to a screeching halt right there after that word. Like-minded? Are you kidding me? Is that even possible? How could Peter write such a thing? How can so many people with so many diverse ideas be like-minded? Is it even possible? Well, the word that Peter uses here, it has this connotation of harmonious or having the same purpose. And so, when we read it like that, it can be helpful because followers of Jesus are to have the same purpose, even if we go about accomplishing that purpose in different ways. I mean, truly, that is the beauty of being a unified body of Christ, even amidst the diversity that we all bring together. It's a beautiful and remarkable thing. Well, Peter goes on to write be sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate and be humble. Oh man, now we're talking, right? This is the stuff. This is the stuff we all love. This is the stuff we want to hold on to. This is the stuff that makes us want to be followers of Jesus. This is the stuff that we believe makes a difference in our life, that it can change us when we can sympathize with another person's point of view, when we can love like Jesus, when we can meet needs with compassion, when we can maintain humility. This is the stuff that changes our hearts and changes our reactions, and it gives us a different perspective when we're in different situations. Sympathy, love, compassion, humility, good stuff, love it, bring it, Peter, bring it, this is good. These are the principles in which we are to live. They're not hard to understand, right? I mean, we all get the understanding of these words, but putting it into practice, that's where it gets challenging. So let's look at these words, being sympathetic, or understanding. This means that in a situation when we feel completely opposite from the other person, that that's really hard to show sympathy to that person's position. Showing love. Okay, so if you break down love, what does love mean? It means being patient and being kind when we are dealing with someone else and we're restraining our own desires to show that patience and that Kindness. Showing compassion for people's hardships. Compassion means that we really need to invest emotionally. We need to care. What happens to them really needs to affect our hearts. And being humble. Oh, being humble. That means we let go of our own pride, our own ego, to interact with people. I mean, this is a short list. It's a really good one, but oh, it's not an easy one. It's almost like Peter is saying, we're going to high-five each other as followers of Jesus. This is the list that sets us apart in this world, and it helps us to thrive. It's our high-five goal. There's five things, five different attributes. It's our high-five goal. Like-minded, sympathetic, loving, compassionate, humble, Go ahead, right there, wherever you are, give someone a a high five, Peter style. COVID style, maybe, social distancing approved. All right, but here's the kicker. Peter ups the ante. He goes all in for followers of Jesus. Not only are we to be proactive with our high five, but he adds to it. Verse nine says, do not repay evil with evil, Or insult with insult, but on the contrary, repay evil with blessing. I know, rub your eyes a little bit. You read it right. It is just plain confusing, that verse, isn't it? I mean, if someone says something mean to me, I wanna say something mean to them. If they sting me, I wanna sting back bigger and better and harder even. I want payback. I mean, has anyone ever thought of a really good comeback, like an hour or two after you really need it in in the situation? Don't you hate that? I know. (sighs) Well, after the whole bee stinging pandemonium thing that happened with our kids out in the field, we were at my other sister's house, and one of my older nephews, he decided to put some firecrackers down a hole in his yard where there were some bees living, Now, kids, don't try this at home, but I have to tell you, I was kind of cheering him on. Awesome, exploding bees. It was payback. It was payback for them stinging my kid. It was payback for them stinging my niece and my nephew. Oh, take that, you stinging insects. Has anyone ever, I don't know, maybe been tempted when someone is tailgating you and they can't pass you to just slow down a bit just to torment them? I know, what is wrong with us that we enjoy that? Oh, Kids, maybe if your brother or sister breaks one of your toys, is your first instinct to say, I'm going to break one of their toys right back? Hmm, When someone hurts you, what well, the first thing that we want to say is that we want to hurt them back. I mean, have you ever said, "I'm going to get them back when they least expect it?" And then you insert your most evil laugh with some drumming fingers. ha ha. I think you should all try it right there, wherever you are, in your living room, in your pajamas. Best evil laugh and drumming fingers. ha ha. Very good, very good. Okay, come back to me now. Here we go. Well, because we have a God that loves us and cares for us deeply, he believes that there is a better way. You see, Peter's already called us to this idea of being like-minded and sympathy and love and compassion and humility. It's all good stuff. But it goes quickly out the window when we are hurt or we are embarrassed, when we are belittled, when someone insults us. But God knows that, and he cares so deeply about us that he does not want us to go down that same road. He wants us to have some strategies for how to handle it when this happens. So God throws out a different way for us to respond. Are you ready for this? It's kind of a curveball. This is what he says. The best revenge is no revenge. Why? Would Jesus want us to live that way when revenge is such a powerful force in us and it's so appealing to us? Jesus says, I've got something else for you. When someone wrongs you, I want you to come to a screeching halt and offer kindness instead. I mean, he's talking about that time that someone called you something awful and you still remember it. I still remember a a time from when I was in eighth grade It was a minute or two ago. But when I was in eighth grade, some of the most popular girls in school handed me a note just before I was going into one of our classes. And I was kind of excited that they had given me a note and reached out to me. And so I opened it up. And as I read it, it was just filled with insults and calling me bad names and bad words. And I was so blindsided, just baffled, because I hadn't done anything to them. I was just kind of minding my own business. They had just done it to be mean. They just wanted to insult me and and cause me pain, and it worked. They did cause me pain. I still remember that situation. I remember fighting back tears because it wasn't fair that they did that to me. I bet maybe you can remember a time or two in your life when something has happened and someone has said something or done something to you that wasn't fair, and this passage that we are studying today is about that time that something really bad happened to you and it was not fair. He's talking about the time that you were singled out and you were mocked by your coworkers. He's talking about the time that you were embarrassed because you were the brunt of the joke. He's talking about the time that you were abused or that you were belittled or that you were bullied. It wasn't fair and it was just plain. Evil. Peter's giving us some insight here, some wisdom for how to live with hope, about what to do when you ever have to face someone or something that is evil. But I want you to buckle your seatbelts because this teaching is not for the faint of heart. He is calling followers of Jesus to, are you ready for it? Restraint. Oh, we are called to learn and practice self-control. Now, if you are not a follower of Jesus right now and you're watching this, I am so glad that you are here and you're listening today. And I don't want you to worry because this teaching is really just for those who have made a commitment to follow Jesus. So you may be completely off the hook unless, unless you are looking for a different way, a better way. A way to square off with evil and not let it win. Square off with evil and not let it affect your spirit, your soul. Not let it shape you and change you. Not let it win. See, Peter, he tells us that we have to repay evil with a blessing. And he tells us why. Because to this you were called so that, highlight, circle, underline, so that you may inherit a blessing. You see, God, he really does have an invested interest in this whole thing, how it all goes down, because he started it. He created you, he created us, he created this world, and he put us in this creation to see us thrive. He loves this world, he loves you, and he really wants to see you handle these kind of painful situations in the best possible ways to help you thrive, In fact, that's why God sent Jesus to this earth. He died for you because he loves you. So God is the one that is calling you to live out the unfair trade. That's what it is, an unfair trade. What does this mean? What does the unfair trade look like? It means trading blessing for cursing blessing instead of evil, good instead of bad, kind instead of mean, grace instead of revenge. It's so hard, isn't it? Because we want fair. And this seems so unfair. It is an unfair trade. And God says if you do this hard thing, if you do this unfair trade, it will make your life better. Hmm. Sherry told me this story about a time in her life when she was a young woman, and she was deeply offended when her supervisor criticized and belittled her in front of all her coworkers. And she could not forget her supervisor's stinging words. She became increasingly bitter and angry as time progressed. This is what she says. She said, I carried that hurt to college, and without knowing it, I was in bondage to this curse. I started struggling in school, and I failed three exams in a row. I had never had problems with school before, and I became so consumed with my studies so that I would not fail any more exams. I lost my focus so that God was not number one in my life. I had sacrificed my relationships with people and ultimately my time with the Lord by working on projects and my studies. One day, when I was on summer break, the Lord really spoke to me. And I realized that I could not honestly say that I love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. At about the same time, Sherry, she heard a message about the value of blessing those who cursed her. And this is what she said. She said, I went into my room and I closed my door and I cried out to God to bless me. And I asked him to bless my former supervisor and his whole family. And instantly, I felt as if the chains had been lifted off me. I felt this incredible freedom that I had not experienced before. And the joy that I now feel is overwhelming. Or here's a story from Brad. And Brad talks about being in a terribly difficult relationship. He says, on a scale of one to 10, this relationship was a minus 20. It was bad. This is what he said If you could have put a stethoscope to my heart to reveal my words, you would have heard me saying, I wish this person had never been born. This person makes my life miserable. And I realized that I was cursing this person in my heart. And it never occurred to me to bless this person. The thought went against every natural urge within me. But it was obvious that this relationship was not improving through my own efforts. And so I began to pray that God would bless this person. And I determined that I would speak well of this person in my heart and to other people. I didn't feel like it. But I chose with my will to do what God's word says. To heal a relationship, someone has to start giving a blessing instead of a curse. And over time, my relationship slowly began to heal. And today, on that same scale of 1 to 10, the relationship is probably about a 7 or an 8 now. Whew! Both of these guys, Sherry and Brad, put the unfair trade into practice. Do you have a story Like Sherry or like Brad? Who would you like to get a little or a whole lot of revenge upon? What would that feel like? Sometimes, though, getting through the unfair trade is tough. We don't even know where to start, right? So I want you to think about what you would need to do to practice the unfair trade. And sometimes when we have a a plan, a strategy that we can either speak out loud or even say to another person is helpful in starting the process of breaking those chains. Because we've been so bottled up and internalized that bitterness and anger and that hate for so long, we don't even know where to go. So I'm going to give you these three things that I want to encourage you to put into practice. The first thing is you have to forgive the wrong. You have to name it. And so even just saying the simple phrase, Lord, I forgive this person's name for this specific offense. You say it out loud. You say it to God. Maybe you find a trusted friend that you can say that to. The second thing is you commit to speaking well of that person. Just like our story with Brad said, he learned how to speak well of that person publicly in his heart and to God. So by saying this phrase, this person's name is a child of God who was created by you, God, and dearly loved. And then the third thing is to pray for that person. Lord, I pray blessings upon this person. And you just ask for the Lord to bless them. Go the extra mile like Brad did and pray blessings not only on that person but on that person's entire family. The unfair trade replaces cursing for blessing. Now, this is a really handy three-step little process. You might want to just tuck this in your Bible and hold on to it just in case the occasion ever arises where you might need to use it again and again. So let's talk a little bit about what exactly is this blessing that God says that we are going to inherit. Well, here's what it is. It is a life that is free from bitterness, freed from the bondage of anger and hate. It is a life that is not distracted from the plans and the purposes that God has for you. It is a life where you are invited to hear God speak to you. Oh, Friends, this is a way bigger blessing than getting our revenge on Oh, there are some really good things for those who dare to practice a life of the unfair trade. Listen to this. Verse 10. For whoever would love life. Oh man, circle that one, highlight that one, and see good days. Highlight, circle. I mean, do you want those? I want those. What is that going to take for us to be in a place where we love life and we have good days? Well, here's what God tells us we have to do. We must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. Okay, so before we go in, I just need you to weigh in here. Tell me where you're at. Do you want to love life? Do you want to see good days? All right, so who's in? Yes, sign me up. I'm in. All right, who's like, "Uh, I'm not sure, I'll get back to you. Who's like, nope, I prefer to hate life and just have bad days? Come on, people, let's go for that first line, that first box. Let's check that square. We wanna love life, we wanna have good days. So, what must we do for that to happen? Well, here's the first thing don't lie. And here's the second thing don't speak evil. What's it mean to speak evil? anything that injures, or hurts, or criticizes, or judges, or slanders, or mocks, or embarrasses, or puts people down. Now, unfortunately, we live in a culture where it is increasingly common to encourage lying. People often act like lying is normal, like they can just do it and have no consequences. Well, I found a research study where some researchers at the University of Notre Dame wanted to find out if lying really is so bad. What's the big deal anyway with lying? So what they did is they followed 110 people over a period of 10 weeks to study the effects that lying had on their lives. So they split the group in half, and half the participants were asked to stop lying for 10 weeks, and the other half were told they could keep lying for those 10 weeks. And then both groups took a polygraph test to determine how many times they had lied each week. Now, they found that those people who were able to reduce by three the number of lies they told each week, they had four fewer mental health complaints, things like feeling tense or having anxiety, and they had three fewer physical health complaints, like having headaches or stomach aches, than those who did not stop lying. So their research showed that telling the truth is actually a much healthier choice. Something that God knew all along. So when we lie, we have this tendency to distort reality. And when we do that, um, we start to actually believe our own lies. And we start living in this distorted view of reality. Now, eventually, we might end up tricking ourselves so completely that we can't even see how it's affecting our life or affecting those around us, and we end up leading inauthentic and irresponsible lives. To tell the truth is to live authentically and responsibly. To tell the truth means you're really living. It is to really live. Now, we always need to remember that speaking truth needs to be balanced with the five things that we started this passage with. Our care-filled high five, like-mindedness, sympathy, love, compassion, humility. When truth is not encompassed with these other attributes, it's not quite what God had in mind. He wants the whole package, truth with these high five attributes because truth is meant to help and bless. It's not meant to be mean or hurtful or spiteful. Now Peter, he goes on in verse 11. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. Oh, this is good, people. We need to pursue peace. Peace is something to be pursued. If you want to love life and see a whole lot of good days, you have to look for peace and you have to run after it. Not wait for it or observe it, but be an active participant and run after it. Just like my daughter was ready to run through that bee-infested field. You've got to run. You've got to go for it. Green light, baby. Run. Go after peace. Hold on to it. Verse 12 says, "'For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayers.'" But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You know what this says? It says that God sees everything. God even sees you. God sees you. He is mindful of you. He cares about you. He wants to be involved with your life. And he sees those who are doing the hard work of striving to be in right relationships. You see, this is what the word righteousness means. It means right relationships, a right relationship with God, a right relationship with others. And when you are pursuing that kind of right relationship with your friends and your families and your coworkers, God sees that and he honors that. When you wade through the evil and you take steps away from it, you take steps to to push it away and go in the different direction. God knows this is hard, but he sees you and that means that his ears are attentive to your prayers. Oh, this is a beautiful thing. This means that the words that you reserve for God alone, he honors. It means that the time you set aside and reserve for God alone, he honors. This means that the trust that you put in God alone, he honors. He is attentive to you. Just like I was attentive when my kids started crying and screaming and running towards me and I was immediately in tune with what was happening with them. God is your father who is attuned with what is happening with you. God's attentive to his kids. But when we choose to do evil instead, any kind of evil, big evil, little evil, middle evil, it's all evil. And here's what happens. He turns his face away. He is not receptive to what we say. You see, a good, pure, holy God will never partner with evil. It's like oil and water. The two do not mix. He may tolerate it for a period of time, but he will not help in that situation See, God says that my ways of treating people determine how he will treat me. If I'm kind to my enemies, God will be kind to me. And if I am evil to my enemies, God does not dig that. You cannot change your enemy, but you can change your response. And this is what God is concerned about for you in your life. Because evil causes bitterness pain, and separation from God. So if we learn how to respond to evil in a way that represents this good and pure and holy God in this world, then things are different. Then he is eager to help you. He is eager to guide. He is eager to lead us into a life that we love and see a lot of good days. Now verse 13 says, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. You see, blessing others, it becomes this almost like powerful protection from becoming a bitter person, a hateful person, a person who is so focused and bent on revenge. Don't you think life is too short to be spent filled with bitterness and hate. We don't know how many days we have. We don't know what lies before us in this life. Maybe today is the day that you want to let go of all that pain, all that bitterness, all that hatred, all that revenge that you are harboring and ask Jesus to help you because He will. He really will. Verse 15 says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Do you want to do that right now? Just revere Christ as Lord. Exalt him, lift him up, tell him that there is no one else like him, that only Jesus is the most powerful one on earth, the only one who can have that kind of power to remove that bitterness and pain and hurt out of your life. Just completely take it out. Free those chains so that you can live free, so that you can love life and have a whole lot of good days. Jesus can do that. If you call out to his name, if you revere his name, he will meet you there. Scripture goes on to say, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Oh, his name is Jesus, friends, and he is the king of the unfair trade. He invented it, he lived it, and he gives gives it to us now. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. This week I was listening to a podcast that my friend Christina Lamaster got me hooked on called The World and Everything in It. And in this podcast they had a news story about a family that was a little frustrated because they thought they had a big water leak. They started seeing dark watermarks running down their walls. But as they examined it and they got closer and they looked at it and they looked at it and got closer, and with a very careful lick on their wall, they soon found that it wasn't a water stain, but it was honey that was leaking down out of their attic. Their attic was filled with thousands of honey-producing bees, and it was leaking down their walls, Ugh! to which all the boys in their house were like, Can we put a tap on that and just have like instant honey tapped out of our honey? Sounded good to them. You know, when bees are angry, they sting. When bees are scared, they sting. But when they are fulfilling their purpose, for which God intended, they give the world a whole lot of sweet, delicious honey. See, the unfair trade, it makes no logical sense. We may want to sting like bees when we get hurt, but if you live out the unfair trade of blessing for cursing, it is a sweet gift to your life and to this world.